I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city. It lies four square. The gates are made of jasper and I'll see Hello, everybody. God bless you today. This is Susan Puzio, and I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News Radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. And we also have our YouTube channel, which is under my name, Susan Puzio. And we have our website, propheticnews.com. We also have our updated book on Amazon. President Trump's pastor, Paula White, the miracle-selling huckster who became the spiritual advisor to the world's most powerful man. This is an updated book. We've added three new chapters. There's so much more information in this book, and we're hoping that this book will help evangelicals especially be warned about the upcoming election because it looks like Trump, President Trump, or former President Trump is going to run again, and he's already courting evangelicals. But I think it's really important that evangelicals know what's going on behind the scenes as far as uh, Mr. Trump goes, which he's not an evangelical, he's not a Christian, and his association with Paula White, they're both compromised. They're uh, both doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and we should be alarmed because I think that when candidates and their spiritual advisors spend time with cult leaders and they praise cult leaders, such as Mrs. Hawk Jahan Moon, the wife of the now-deceased Young Young Moon who claimed to be the Messiah, When they start affiliating with these kind of people, I think we need to be warned and we need to know who these people are and what's going on behind the scenes before we endorse them. So this book is helpful, especially if you have friends that think the world of President Trump. And yes, he did have some very good policies that did help the country. But as Christians, we, we, we cannot stand behind people that are so obviously in grave error and are leading people astray as far as spirituality goes because we can't endorse people that are deceiving other people and, of course, courting the evangelical vote which politicians like to do, but we can't endorse people that are so compromised. It's, it's just awful. So you might want to get a book for one of your friends or your relatives or whoever is thinking that this could be a great thing if uh, Trump runs again. But it is a deception. It's a great deception. And, of course, he's very charismatic, and he's very likable. And But 
there's some really serious problems going on there. So the book is a, is in a paperback form. It's also in a Kindle version. And so I'm planning on sending out a press release this week, and we're hoping that we can get more publicity and more people to read the information that's in the book so that they can make good decisions. Evidence means a lot. It means a lot in a court of law when you can present both sides of a story and you've done your homework, you've done your research. There's been hundreds of hours that was spent on the research of this book. And I really... I didn't write the book really just to sell books. It wasn't my whole motivation. Of course, you want to get the information out there, and you put it in a book, and you put it on Amazon. So it's it looks credible to the world when you have documentation. People still read books by the millions, so... Most people aren't going to spend the time to do the research about who Paula White is and the spiritual connotations of what's going on, especially with Mr. Trump. And the things that are going on in our country that we see things kind of falling apart. <laughs> but how could God not judge us for the abominations especially when it comes to abortion. But those things are out there and, uh, as far as our work, and there's some things that we want to do in the future as far as getting the message out and, and helping people to recognize real Christianity from false Christianity. Who's compromised out there? What people are compromised and how easy it is to be deceived. Any one of us could be deceived. That could happen. And that that's what we're trying to prevent. Even in my own life, I'm trying to be careful about what I see and what I hear as far as making good decisions and being discerning when it comes to the word of God and it, and it comes to people that are out there proclaiming to be Bible teachers and evangelists and pastors. And when we see what's going on in the world, and especially when we look at the tragedy for Eastern Europe, and I'm still learning about this conflict because this conflict has been going on since 2014, where there was shelling and there were there were things going on, shooting, even before Russia invaded. I'm trying to understand the whole thing, and I'm still doing the research about it because it's not as it appears totally on the news. There, There's a whole one-world government situation, I believe, going on, and it... People used to think that that was a conspiracy when you talked about 
the New World Order and the One World Government. And you even have people like Joe Biden saying it, coming right out of his mouth about the New World Order. George Bush Sr. spoke of it, too. So it's diabolical. There's a whole diabolical plan. We know what the Book of Revelation says. We know what's coming. And yet when it starts happening, (laughs) you know, right before our very eyes, then it's kind of shocking, isn't it? when we see the the events that are going on. Not in a third world country. We're talking about Eastern Europe. We're talking about a place, of of course, where you had World War II, you had World War I. I don't think right now we're going to have World War III. I, I personally don't think that anyone's ready to use nuclear weapons. If you're... If, uh, especially world leaders, they want to go outside. They're not going to hold, be holed up in some underground bunker. And if you start using nuclear weapons at this point in history, these people would have to go into hiding because they couldn't go out. They're not going to give up their lifestyles. They threat, threaten using nuclear weapons and chemical weapons, but they would have to suffer too, and they're not going to do that. No, they're not going to do that at this time. So I don't believe that is going to happen. That's my personal view anyway. I think a lot of it is a, is a smoke screen for what's going on behind the scenes. And you, you just see the most outrageous things. You see these uh, people from CNN, they, they hold these seminars about fake news and propaganda. And they're the biggest purveyors of propaganda and fake news going. They can't be honest, which a lot of the networks, and uh, Fox included, a lot, of, a lot of the news that Fox reports isn't 100% accurate either. And so you have to do your own digging and there's people out there you can trust that do their research and possibly can uh, present things to the public that are true just like today I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about this movie or television series The Chosen you could spend hours upon hours doing research on this particular issue. There's so much out there. And Dallas Jenkins goes to Rome to visit the Pope, and he's involved with Mormons, and he's all over the place. I haven't watched any of the episodes yet, and I probably will look at more of it to do another program because it's, there's so much information, but I think that when you're, when you're doing a documentary production, especially if you're the director or the producer, you can't be all over the place as far as you're trying to appeal to Catholics, you're trying to appeal to Mormons, you're trying to appeal to evangelicals. You, you just you have to... Uh, 
look at it from an evangelical perspective as far as the audience that you're trying to reach and present Jesus in a light where it's the real Jesus. It It's so frustrating to me as a Christian when I see Jesus portrayed with a, like a person that can't comb his hair. That bothers me. I could never imagine Jesus walking around without his hair combed and without looking immaculate. And most of the times when you see Jesus portrayed, even by this actor in The Chosen, Jonathan Rumi, his hair is scraggly and it's kind of hanging in his face. You think that Dallas Jenkins would have, at least with all the, the money that he had backing this project, have people to comb this guy's hair. I don't like Jesus being presented in that light. I don't particularly like the way they presented Jesus in some of the scenes that I did see. And I'm not a big fan. Of course, Dallas Jenkins, his father was Jerry Jenkins, and he wrote the Left Behind series with Tim LaHaye, and it was a big success. I never read any of those books. I'm not a big fan of fiction, Bible fiction. And this, from what I've seen of The Chosen, some of it is fiction because he was trying to make the characters relatable. But I, but I really believe that you have to stick to the Jesus that you see in the Bible and you can't use creative license when you're talking about him especially. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I thought there was so many there was some interesting things in the news this week. The uh, state of Oklahoma and my hat goes off to them, let me tell you, especially the governor there. But let me play this clip for you. About the uh, state of Arizona and the big news. State legislature has approved a bill to make abortion a felony in that state. Now, if it becomes law, doctors who perform abortions could face up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. This is one of a series of anti-abortion measures that would take effect around the country if the Supreme Court allows them to. Janet Chamlin is in Oklahoma City with more on this story. Janet, good morning to you. Gail, good morning to you. Oklahoma's abortion clinics have been caring for women from both Oklahoma and Texas since last September. That's when Texas enacted its own sweeping abortion law. And Planned Parenthood here in Oklahoma says patients from Texas have increased 800 percent since that time. Now women from both states may have to travel hundreds of miles just for basic reproductive care. Keep your hands off our bodies! Protesters outside the Oklahoma Capitol Tuesday. It is a dark day in Oklahoma. After the Republican-controlled House passed a law banning abortions in the state, resoundly, 70 to 14. If you want to get elected, you want to be pro-life. That's the reality in this state. Oklahoma's bill is the latest in a series of anti-abortion laws passed by Republican-led state governments, including one in Mississippi, currently before the Supreme Court. If upheld, it would overturn Roe v. Wade. 
Right now, 21 states have laws on the books that would ban most abortions if Roe is overturned. Five others would likely follow suit. These laws are doing exactly what they've been designed to do, right? To make abortion providers fearful. Rebecca Tong is the co-executive director of Trust Women, which runs one of Oklahoma's four remaining abortion clinics. What I'm scared of is that people will not be able to make a decision that fits their life and it will change the course and direction of their life because of it. Eight more anti-abortion bills are currently making their way through the Oklahoma legislature, and the governor, Kevin Stitt, says he is prepared to sign all of them. Nate? Amen. Why, why would it take so long to, uh, for these laws to be brought forth and to go into effect, even in, in our state of Florida, the governor, and they, they passed a law where you can have an abortion, I think, after 15 weeks. But they weren't brave enough to uh, ban the whole thing, which Oklahoma is, is trying to do, and rightly so. Why should anyone be allowed to murder a child? And they talk about reproductive rights. Well, don't get pregnant. ridiculous it's it's a, it's a horror show and it's one of the reasons that how could god not judge us for this abomination to innocent children let's call it what it is and it is murder i i, I don't it it's amazing really that it's been going on for all these years and we've had to wait all these years for people to stand up and be, be brave where this issue is concerned. They, uh, there was a story also that was put out this week about finding these aborted babies up to almost full-term babies that they were found. And a pro-life person, I think, took them home in order to have the evidence of what was going on at this abortion clinic. And uh, the, the videos are too shocking to look at. You can, you, it, it's hard to look at these things. And these babies basically were left to die, and they're. they're there's cuts on these babies and gashes on these babies. It's, it's unbelievable. And how anybody could look at that and think that that's right. But that goes to show you how twisted society has become and how cruel and callous people can be. So even, even though we're not in a physical war in this country, this is, this is a kind of a war for the rights of the unborn. And, uh, of course, only Jesus can change a heart. So it's people are blind. People that don't know the Lord are blind, and they think that they're fighting for women's reproductive rights without really 
realizing that no one has the right to kill their children. So as a church and as a body of believers, we have our work cut out for us as far as trying to preach the gospel and open the eyes of the blind or to help open the eyes of the blind because only Jesus can really open their eyes and show them what the truth is. And I'm grateful for the laws, but I know that when you're born again, God writes his law on your heart. And we know, we can, we know good from evil, or we're supposed to know it. And of course, Christians aren't perfect, and uh, human beings are going to blow it every now and then, and they do. They do. But yet God is merciful. He's been merciful to all of us. And we, we pray for God to be merciful in many of these situations too. And that God would raise up many bold witnesses for him to witness to these people and to try to get them to understand what they're doing. Because it's brought, brought a great reproach upon this nation and to uh, civilization in general. It's just awful. But anyway, hats off to uh, the state of Oklahoma. And we'll see what happens. Uh, because some of these, some of the judges that are there, they claim on the Supreme Court, they claim to be conservative, but I think some of them are liberals. <laughs> they have secret liberal ideas they may not voice, but they do. It'll be interesting when this gets brought up and uh, if they do overturn Roe, which I hope that they do, and they turn it back to the states and, and hopefully some of these other governors will stand up and take a bold stand and criminalize abortion as they should. Here's another, this is another weird situation that ha that came out about Francis Chan. And, uh, I mean, this guy is all over the place, let me tell you. He's got some crazy beliefs, and here's one of them. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake the one bread. So he says this cup that we, we, we partake of, is it not a koinonia, a participation in the blood of Christ? There's some sort of koinonia. If you, if you look up koinonia in a, a lexicon, and actually the first thing that comes up is intercourse. That somehow there's this, this, this with the blood and, and, and my blood, that somehow there's this koinonia going on with me and almighty Jesus. That somehow this, this bread that I take of, like I, I can eat it and somehow there's some sort of flesh 
that connects with his. I, I can't explain it. I, I'm just reading it. I go, okay, the, this one table was supposed to bring us together, and it's crazy now. No, I think he's crazy now to even make such a horrific statement. First of all, when we take communion, we do it in remembrance of what of what the Lord did for us. It's not like we're really eating real blood and real flesh. That's a Catholic thing, that Jesus comes and lives in a wafer or a piece of bread and some wine. And people try to spiritualize it or they try to make it a religious exercise And it's not that. We don't worship communion. We we uh, we take communion and re- and in remembrance of what the Lord did for us, His broken body and His blood, and we remember that and we're grateful for that. We we're thankful, but to spiritualize it and to make it literal. And then to say something so disgusting as the way Francis Chan put it, these these people are really sick. I, I think sometimes they just they spend too much time on uh, ridiculous things that aren't important as far as Christianity, because we don't worship communion and it was never meant to be like that so when I hear statements like that I am amazed at how low people can go to try to get their teachings and their doctrines out there and how deceptive it is. If I was sitting in that church and the pastor made a statement like that, I would get up and walk out and never go back. And nobody should be following Francis Chan because that is disgusting. There's even people that talk about prayer like that, that somehow it's some kind of a intercourse with God. I don't think that word should ever be used when you're talking about God or you're talking about prayer or you're talking about communion. These people are, are sick. But that goes to show you what's happening out there and how low people can go when they're talking about Jesus and he's holy and God is holy. They have absolutely no respect for 
the Lord. It's it's unbelievable. I couldn't believe what believe that when I heard it. I'll tell you truly the days are evil. <laughs> and God help us. God help us. We need all the help we can get. But here we have Dallas Jenkins and the Chosen. And of course they say it was crowdfunded, so supposedly I think they raised something like eleven million dollars, which is a is a good chunk of money to produce a television series. And if you're going to raise that kind of money and you have an opportunity to do a documentary about Jesus and about the Bible, I believe, and he likes to use creative license with, with saying that he had to humanize Jesus and he had to humanize the apostles. But no, I think you have to stick to the Bible and you have to stick to the Jesus of the Bible. You can't. make Jesus appear in a way that he wasn't. Because why why would you want to attract people to a Jesus that's not real? And also there there's a I listened to a couple of the interviews that Dallas Jenkins did and then he he did interviews with Mormons. And then in the interviews with the Mormon guy, he said, well, we basically believe in the same Jesus. Well, we don't. And then he went on a, another broadcast with a, a lady that is or claims to be an evangelical. And he said he wanted to walk back those comments. And he was sorry that he said it. So, like, which one is it? He's, he's kind of all over the place. And then he goes to Rome, and he visits, he meets with the Pope as far as, it wasn't a private meeting, it was in a, in a group setting where there was many other people that were shaking his hand. I'm not going to Rome to shake the Pope's hand, no way. Uh-uh. I don't, I don't think any of us as Christians should go hang around with the Pope. And so he tries to rationalize, and of course the, the uh, actor, Jonathan Rumi, that plays Jesus is a Catholic, and he likes to refer to himself as a born-again Catholic. Well, what's a born-again? How could you be born again and be a Catholic? I think if you get, you could get saved and maybe stay in the Catholic Church a little, a little time after you got born again, but you'd have to leave. There would be no way you could stay there and uh, worship Mary, worship saints, eat Jesus in a wafer, and uh, believe that the, the uh, only way to salvation is through the Catholic Church because those are the beliefs of Catholics. Catholicism. I was raised Catholic, so I know what I'm talking about. I went to Catholic school, 
from grade two to grade eight, and we were thoroughly indoctrinated into the catechism. We read it every day. So I know what it is, and uh, I knew enough to get out of it when I was about 12. I didn't want anything more to do with Catholicism because I saw how the uh, priests and the nuns were such hypocrites. So I thought to myself, why would I want a God like that? They can't, they lie. They can't tell you the truth. They, they do things they're not supposed to do. And then you want to tell me they represent God on the earth? Well, there was no way I was going to believe that. So it wasn't until I was 30 years old when I finally met the real Jesus. And uh, I was born again. And I became a Christian. So even when Dallas Jenkins meets the Pope, he says, well, I'm a Protestant. Well, that's the label that the Catholic Church put on us. I'm not a Protestant. I think we have to stop using that word when we refer to, to us being Christians. We're Christians. We're the real Christians. It's a broad word where uh, even when Dallas Jenkins meets the Pope and... He's standing there with Jonathan Rumi, the guy that plays Jesus, the Catholic guy, and Dallas Jenkins is standing there, and then the Pope comes over and he shakes their hand, and Jonathan Rumi introduces himself as the actor that plays Jesus in a television series, and of course the Pope is interested in that. And then when he shakes Dallas Jenkins' hand, he says to him, this is Jesus, and you're Judas. Well, it, Dallas Jenkins thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a joke because he's saying if you're not Catholic, you're a Judas. You betrayed Jesus. The the, the what the Pope said to him went, went right over his head. He thought it was funny. Well, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. But like I said, they go, they meet with the Pope, they're shaking the Pope's hand, and uh, so he's, he's trying to appeal to the Catholic audience. Well, you, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> the real Jesus doesn't really appeal to Catholics. Not the real Jesus. No. Because they have their own Jesus. They have another Jesus. You should speak for so the I entire should, I should be. Catholic Church right, right now. Let me, let me do Much that. like I can speak for the entire evangelical population. We just walked out of St. Peter's Basilica, which genuinely is one of the top three most unbelievable pieces of art I've ever seen. I would consider yeah. the whole church to be an art piece of worship, really. I've never seen anything like it. You just walk around thinking you'll need 
chiropractic appointment later because you're going <laughs> to crane your neck. It is different in there for you than it is for me. Because for me, you'll have moments where you'll touch something or you'll kiss something or, or you'll have a moment where it means more to you. When you walk into a place like that, that that's that big, mm. to me, it's like, I don't know if this resonates with me as much, even though it's impressive artistically, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, for me, it's, it's about small and personal. What is it about the scope of it and the size of it and the... the what is it, Jonathan? <laughs> um, well, Dallas... Uh... Like they were doing a mass when I came in. What takes place in that church that, when you walk in, is, is meaningful to you and connected to you? When you're going into a place like St. Peter's, you can't help but just be stupefied at the beauty of the artistry and the thought of, of how long it took to actually build this cathedral. And so you have to get past that to find those moments of personal connection. So for me, participating in the Mass is what brings makes it extremely personal for me. You kind of have to put blinders on, and you have to just sort of find those things that have resonance. Like Pope St. John Paul II is buried in, in the uh, Basilica. There's an altar, and he's inside the, the altar, and many, many popes are buried inside there. And because he was a pope that I grew up with as a kid, seeing him on TV, hearing him preach, that then becomes the personal connection for me. He just meant a lot to me personally. And so that's when I come into a place like this, that's how I can connect on a personal level. I think it's made to really highlight how much of the culture at the time was centered around God in society and the efforts that they took to glorify God through the gifts that they were given. Let's sh show God the magnitude of our love for him and, and, and by building these, these magnificent monuments. Right. So for me, I've always seen, I've come to see this, that there's strengths and weaknesses to it because... I believe that Protestants have gone too far in the opposite direction and become almost skeptical of art and skeptical of imagery because they don't want to be idolatrous and because they don't want to be so symbolic that, that you miss out on the truth of what's being said, that these relics feel like idols to some Protestants. And I've come to believe, well, we Protestants, I think, have missed out on some truly great opportunities to be artistic. And as an artist myself, I'm like, yeah, I... I do that. I, I, I create symbols sometimes in my work. I create metaphor. And I'm learning from the great artists of all time, you know, Michelangelo and, you know, I mean, gosh, I was going to say Michelangelo because I thought of his sculpture. And then I was going to say, and the guy who did the Sistine Chapel, and that was Michelangelo. <laughs> I'm like, he got, he was, he was... Uh, they knew each other, let's just say. Yeah, would you say he was a Renaissance man? I would say. I'd say so. So, but my point in bringing that up is, like, there was so much, like, art really was an expression of worship. And I do believe that Protestants have overcorrected. Mm -hmm. But I also do see people who go into those places who do treat these pieces of art almost as holy. I got an opportunity to visit Peter's grave mm -hmm. and to see fragments of his bones, which is cool. And as someone who is right now telling, retelling the story of Peter to the world, it's meaningful to me. But they spoke of it as, as if this was like a truly holy, sacred place and that they protected it as a sacred place, and you kept distance from it because it was holy and sacred. And churches were built on it because it was so sacred and holy. And I'm like, well, why is, it sac why is that sacred and holy? Yeah. Like, like Peter, that's not really Peter, that's just, those are bones, and Peter's alive, he's in heaven. Like, well, why is this spot holy and sacred any more than any other spot where I'm praying to, to God? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a, 
that's a big question, and that there are theologians that I'm sure have much better, deeper answers than I can ever give. But you are an actor who plays Jesus, right. so you should speak for so the I entire should, I should be. Catholic Church right, right let now. Me, let me do Much that. like I can speak for the entire evangelical population. Let me do that just before <laughs> we go to meet the Pope, speak on behalf of the world. Well, I'm going to share all this stuff with the Pope. I'm going to be like, listen, Pope, I just don't understand why his bones, and, and I'm sure he will will have a long 30-minute conversation about it. I just got a text we've been disinvited, so... <laughs> Yeah. You see what I mean? He's he's all over the place about Peter. Well, of course, we don't know that Peter ever was in Rome, and uh, they have his bones there at this great basilica. I've been there when. Before I got saved, I took a trip to Europe, and I saw the Sistine Chapel, and I saw St. Peter's, and yeah, it, it's an awesome building. There's no doubt about that, but it was built on the blood, sweat, and tears, how they collected the money at the time to build this monument was they sold indulgences and a Catholic can buy an indulgence. You can pay for a mass or you can pay to have prayer said or you can light candles and there was a box in the church where you could put money into the box and then you can light a candle and say a prayer for somebody and you could buy people out of purgatory which Catholics believe in heaven, hell, and purgatory, and if you're not good enough to go to heaven, you can wind up in purgatory, and then people, uh, after you're dead, people can pray for you and say masses that cost money to get you out of there. So Catholic people went around from village to village and they were collecting money to build St. Peter's and they were promising people that they would have these indulgences to get out of hell or to get out of purgatory and that's how they built this place that was built by scamming and of course we see that today nothing's changed really as far as that goes because you see these so-called evangelical Christians on what they call Christian TV, hawking their wares, and then they ma they're making all these promises to you if you give money. So it's the same thing. It works. It, it helped to make the Catholic Church one of the largest so-called churches or religious organizations in the world. And you can see the after effects with some of these so-called ministers of the gospel that present themselves on television, they build these massive kingdoms through fraud and through extortion. And they take advantage of people and manipulate people that are desperate for miracles without telling people that miracles are free for the asking. You don't have to do give any money. You don't have to walk on your knees like, Catholics do where 
they'll walk uh, upstairs of up the up the stairs of these monuments of these shrines, and they'll walk on their knees, and their knees will get scraped, and they'll bleed, and they're crying out to God and begging God, and they're believing that maybe somehow through their suffering, God will hear them. Well, that's not how it goes. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. And so we ask and we receive. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to say five Hail Marys and ten Our Fathers and uh, to uh, get God to hear us. We don't have to go to church and pay tithes. We don't have to sow financial seeds. We just have to ask. So if your preacher or your pastor doesn't preach that way, then I, I, uh, I think you should find another place that, to go to church and you should find another pastor because we don't need to be supporting these kind of people, especially in the days that we're living in. People need to be honest and they need to have integrity when they're ministering to other people and not to have these financial motives that they have because it's my belief anyway that we, we make our needs known to God and he meets the needs. And if he chooses other people to help you with your ministry along the way, then it's then it's him doing it. It's not you doing it anymore. It's not you begging and telling people you're going off the air and you're not going to be able to continue your ministry unless people give. And uh, so that's not faith. I, I don't believe that any of us should have to beg to keep our work going. And I don't care what country you're in, it's the same God whether you're in India or you're in China or wherever you are. God can fund your work supernaturally. And it's always best to trust God to meet your needs because this way it keeps you in check. <laughs> it really does. You see what's happening to these people out there. And uh, there was a clip that was released this week uh, with Perry Stone. And I'm, I'm going to talk about this. I'm thinking about doing like an open letter to him where he was saying that he wanted to commit suicide and he was cursing and uh, saying he was going to close up his church because of these allegations that were made against him of a sexual nature. But he doesn't realize that God's judging him, and he he he's concerned now that these allegations are being made public. And of course, right now they're allegations because he hasn't been arrested, he hasn't been put on trial. So, but he yet he spent most of his public so-called ministry life scamming people by selling miracles, and that's how he built his kingdom. So if you build, don't build your kingdom or your ministry on the rock and you build it on sinking sand, it's going to sink, and eventually God's going to judge it. And so uh, I don't think anybody that threatens suicide is, you have to take them seriously when they do that. So 
you don't want the guy to wind up killing himself. But you hope and you pray that he takes a long, hard look at how he built his so-called ministry. And now God is judging it. And you hope that he repents and he gets his life in order and uh, doesn't threaten suicide. But anyway, we'll talk about that another day. But here's another clip from the chosen meeting the Pope. Hey, I'm meeting the Pope in just a little bit. I get to sit in this special section in the front. Jonathan is currently in the bathroom. And this is the General Assembly. So this is really fascinating. For me, as a Protestant, I don't have a whole lot of passion for something like this, but it's certainly a, an amazing opportunity and represents the growth of this show around the world. When we were in line, people from all over the world were recognizing us and thanking us for the show. And uh, you're a big part of that. So the opportunity for other faith traditions to experience the show is not something that I necessarily planned for, uh, but it's, <laughs> I didn't think I'd, I'd become, uh, you know, have an opportunity here to, to meet the Pope and to get to experience this amazing city, Rome, but it's certainly quite an honor and something that represents just how far the Chosen has reached. Actor Jonathan Rumi has become the face of Jesus for millions of people around the world, thanks to his role as Christ in the TV series, The Chosen. After meeting Pope Francis at a general audience, he can certainly count on the Pope's prayers. It was a childhood dream come true. It's something that I've always wanted to do, uh, meet the Pope, and I never had a chance to do it as a kid. We exchanged a few words. He was wonderfully funny and, and just full of joy, and it was, uh, it was a real blessing for me. Wonderfully funny because of this exchange between the Pope and Dallas Jenkins, the director of The Chosen. I'm Jesus? No, 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 no. Apparently the, the Chosen has become popular in the Catholic Church and at the Vatican. Uh, I'm a Protestant myself. I, I don't have a personal connection to the Pope or to the Catholic Church. It was a great honor to meet him, and uh, when he met me, he decided to make a joke about the fact, he said, is this Jesus, talking, pointing to Jonathan, and I said, yes, he goes, are you Judas? And I thought, all right, I like this guy, this is fun, you know, he has a good sense of humor. Dallas Jenkins' widely successful series, distributed by Angel Studios, is the largest crowdfunded work of its kind. Nearly 19,000 people invested a total of over $11 million to make the first season. The second and latest season was also fully funded, with over $10 million raised. People that are paying it forward are from all over the world. They're from countries from every continent, and um, they're people who have watched the show, felt like it's moved them, and they want other people to be able to watch the show. It's the first multi-season series about Jesus' life, and it's told from the perspective of the people closest to him, namely his disciples. With seven seasons planned, Jenkins says he has a lot more room to develop the characters than he would in a feature film. He even has room to add to the material he gets from the Bible. Our number one question every time we do anything that isn't from the Bible is, is this plausible? Um, could this have happened historically, culturally, or um, 
through just knowing what we know about human beings. You know, because so many of the portrayals of these characters in previous Jesus shows, they don't feel like human beings. They feel like paintings, or they feel like very formal. It's that human aspect that Jenkins says most appeals to fans, and it's what Jonathan Rumi tries to portray in his role as Jesus. The three things that I really strive to communicate are um, God's love, mercy, and compassion. I think those are, that's the essence of who God is, and I think if we can adopt those, more of those qualities as humans, um, the world would be in a, in a much better place. The Chosen has made its way around the globe with its unique perspective of Jesus' life. The first two seasons are available for free in 50 different languages. Season 3 is over 50% funded and is expected to premiere in early 2022. news for uh, Dallas. The Pope wasn't joking when he called him a Judas. <laughs> he wasn't joking. And I always say, remember the Inquisition. Don't cozy up to the Catholic Church. Because it, their history is diabolical when it comes to Bible-believing Christians. They've murdered us in the past, burned us at the stake, put us on the rack, burned out people's tongues. And history repeats itself. So I wouldn't be cozying up to the Pope. Please. But then again, he's, he's, he's trying to promote his television series and he's trying to be, trying to appeal to all religions. But Jesus said, people were going to hate you because of him. So we can't expect to appeal to all religions and our Jesus is going to appeal to all religions. He's not. Did you ever get together to have a family gathering and you have family members that are members of other religions and you try to have a discussion about the real Jesus? I have. And those family members that don't know the real Jesus get very angry when you talk about the real Jesus. And they, they'll even hate you for talking about the real Jesus. So there's no way you can cozy up to false religions and then they're going to like you. He, he didn't even know that the Pope was insulting him. But anyway, here's this actor that plays Jesus, and of course he's getting a lot of press time, and he's getting a lot of interviews, and so it would have been a better idea really for Dallas Jenkins to pick a Jesus character that was a real Bible believer, because now this man is going out, and he's affiliated with the program, and he's making 
statements about homosexuality and different things. And so it doesn't look good in a PR perspective as far as the chosen is concerned. So let me play one of these clips. Now you'll see the real me. Ah. Oh, apparently um, I'm falling into this lure of the devil. Lure of the devil. Got me. Guilty as charged. So, yeah. Uh, what else? Um, this is a post that Jonathan Rumi posted with James Martin. He says, when one of your favorite authors on one of your favorite subjects wants a photo of you, quote-unquote, Jesus with his book, and the talk was on building a bridge with the LGBT community. So what's happening here is Jonathan Rumi is actually being used to pull people into Catholicism. The guy playing Jesus in The Chosen doesn't believe what the Bible says about LGBT issues. He doesn't believe that homosexuality is a sin and that people need to repent of it or be freed from it. So this is very dangerous, what's happening behind the scenes in The Chosen. It's a little mixture that makes everything very dangerous. And this is more than a little mixture. A little poison can poison a well. And I have to say, with everything that I'm showing you, it's clear that there's a lot of poison to poison the well. This other post, he says, there's still time to join in the conversation I'll be having tonight with Father James Martin, author of one of my favorite books, Jesus of Pilgrimage, to talk about the greatest person to walk the earth. He put, duh, earth. Jesus. There will also be meditations and reflections on scenes from The Chosen, so fans of the show will really enjoy the evening. Register online, JesuitRetreat.org. Hope you can join us. So, Jonathan Rumi is being used to pull people into false belief. He's being used to pull people towards Catholicism. And one of the things that's happening in the background is ecumenism. People are saying, you know, I really love the chosen and I really love the way that Jesus is portrayed. I really love the way that Jonathan portrays Jesus. But the issue is that it's totally mixed with things that aren't of God. If you go to Rumi's Facebook page, you'll see that he's pinned his favorite Amazon books onto the top of the page. And we're going to look at some of those favorite books. Here we have The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything by James Martin. The next book, Jesus, A Pilgrimage by James Martin. So he's promoting James Martin's books, which means that he agrees with his philosophy and theology. If you look at the rest of the books, most of them are Catholic books. Not all of them, but a lot of them are promoting saints. A lot of them are promoting Padre Pio. We see Joel Osteen coming up. A lot of Padre Pio books. Now, for people that don't know who Padre Pio was as, as far as... Uh... Catholicism. He was a man that claimed that uh, he had this stigmata where blood came out of his palms, that he actually had the wounds of Jesus and they would bleed. 
And so a few years ago, there was a lady named Lucy Rael. And she's still out there. She's, <laughs> this lady's still out there. And she was going around to different charismatic churches. I believe she was even at the Rock Church at one point at uh, John and Ann Jimenez's church. And she would have feathers fall from the ceiling, and she also had this stigmata where her hands would bleed. It was fake. She was found out to be a fake. And you, you didn't really hear about her that much, but if you go to uh, some of the video channels, you'll see she's, she's back out visiting churches. And uh, it's Lucy Rael, R-A-E-L. Now, I'm not endorsing her ministry, but if you want to look at the videos and see this uh, hanky-panky that goes on with this woman, but she was believed by many people to uh, actually have this stigmata. And, uh, of course, that's ridiculous. It's just like the people that have the gold. They go to these meetings and gold dust falls down. And... uh, so what does that prove? It proves nothing, except it's a false sign and a wonder meant to uh, deceive people. But anyway, here's a couple of ways that Jesus and the gospel is portrayed in the chosen. According to the gospel of John, chapter 1, Philip is called by Jesus to follow him the day after Simon Peter meets Jesus. Now, in The Chosen, Simon Peter meets Jesus in episode four of season one. Yet Philip is not called to follow Jesus until episode two of season two. It's a very short message, only two words. Mine is also short. Follow I me. will. So John thinks you're ready. Yes. So there's a very clear contradiction because there are days, weeks, perhaps months in between those two moments. There's also the calling of Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel is presented as a failed architect. You're ruined. Do you hear me? It's over! Who then goes to the pub and orders the strongest drink because of his failure. Your strongest And then the next day, Philip has to climb through his window and finds him passed out in the middle of the day because of his drinking. Nathaniel! Hey, Nathaniel, it's me, Philip. Nathaniel! some water.
Now, the Bible presents Nathanael as a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. Does that sound like a true Israelite to you? It doesn't to me. Now, they do use the words later on. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. But the words are meaningless in light of the way that they have presented Nathanael. In a Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Here, here's another one where John rebukes Jesus. His wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. I understand this against the law of Moses, but I'm here for bigger purposes than the breaking of rules. You minimize incest? Of course not. What of the laws of Moses will be minimized? All of this will be addressed. I'm not ready to get into the specifics. You appear to be not ready to get into the specifics of a lot of things. For instance... Stay on topic. The romantic lives of rulers and kings has been and always will be of enormous fascination to people. It was covered at length in Torah. I don't see why you feel the need to focus on He's it now. He's a client king or tetrarch or whatever. He's one of us. I don't see why you feel the need to focus on He's it now. He's a client king or tetrarch or whatever. He's one of us. He's unlawful. I am not afraid of him. He may not be as bad as his father, but he is still bad. I'm going to march straight into his court, and I'm going to tell him to his face. My followers will love it. The real John the Baptist of the Bible would never have questioned Jesus in this way. But this is obviously a false Christ, so it's kind of okay, I guess, if you look at it that way. But nonetheless, the real John the Baptist would never have challenged the real Jesus in this way because he said that he was unworthy even to untie his sandals. That's what the real John the Baptist said. And so therefore, I think that scene is absolutely ridiculous. And I, I certainly don't think that Jesus would have been persuading John the Baptist not to challenge King Herod because the Holy Spirit was leading John the Baptist and Jesus knew that. Also, there's a point where Jesus was arrested by the Romans. Jesus of Nazareth, you are sought for questioning by a Roman authority. Will you surrender to detainment peacefully? Yes. Jesus, no! Are you armed? I am not, but some of my followers are. Tell your followers to drop their weapons and step back ten cubits. I will. later he was released. Rabbi, with all due respect, you couldn't have told us that you were back first? You were grabbed by Roman soldiers with weapons. We were all worried sick. Did I not tell you that I would be back and to keep planning? But when you read the Gospels, there's not even a hint of Jesus getting arrested prior to his final and only arrest after which he was crucified. In fact, the Bible seems to strongly imply that people tried to arrest him, they tried to stone him, but he was always escaping because his hour had not yet come. Another thing that concerns me about the show is a conversation between Nicodemus and one of the Pharisees. A voice cries, 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Hmm. And who does that sound like? The heretic John. And what heresy do you find in those words, being that Isaiah said The heresy is that John has appropriated Isaiah's words by taking a spiritual description of God in heaven and applying it to John's physical successor on earth. Successor? John said, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And? God has no body. He cannot wear sandals. And at first, Nicodemus seems to be arguing from the scripture in response. God cannot take human form. To say so is blasphemy. And where does it say that God cannot take human form? In the scroll of Deuteronomy. You saw no face the day Adonai spoke to you at Horeb. Just because they saw no form doesn't mean God cannot take one. In Exodus. But as the conversation continues... The Pharisee keeps on using the word of God incorrectly, but he keeps on using the word of God, whereas Nicodemus seems to go off into an illogical rant. You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. This person would have to walk around with his face covered. So you would place limits on the Almighty? None that are not written in law. And if God did something that you felt contradicted the Torah, would you tell him to get back in that box? that you have carved for him? Or would you question your interpretation of the Torah? That argument has been used by heretics all over the world to... Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Here's another wacky clip. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. So it's very clear that there are three contradictions regarding the timing in which the disciples are called. But in addition to that, Matthew is presented as being autistic. Matthew, you're so wonderfully odd. <laughs> Simon Peter tries to punch out Matthew. So you have Simon Peter, who's now a disciple of Christ, about to punch out someone with autism. You really are a traitor. It's so stupid, so silly. I think what's going on is they're trying to present the disciples of Jesus as being so sinful so that all the sinful people that love the show can feel okay about their sin and since Jesus loved them Jesus will also love them in their sinful state which leads me to my next issue and that is the way in which the chosen presents Jesus when you look yeah <laughs> talk about using creative license then is near. His message was the same as John the Baptist's message. In fact, when Herod heard about Jesus, he thought that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That's how similar the message was. When Jesus asked his disciples, 
Who do men say that I am? Some said that he was Elijah. Some said John the Baptist raised from the dead. And others thought Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But the Jesus in the chosen is nothing like any of those people. He very rarely mentions the word repentance. Granted, he says it maybe twice, possibly three times in season one. And I don't recall a single instance of the word repentance coming out of Jesus' mouth in season two. I might be wrong, but from memory, I can't remember anything. And even in key moments when they should have put the word repentance in the mouth of Jesus, they didn't. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Is everything under control here? Uh, Yes, we were just going on our way, Centurion. There are also a number of scenes that totally contradict the Bible. The first scene is where the false Christ of the chosen is trying to prepare and rehearse his sermon. And the next one is where Matthew is helping him come up with the content of the sermon. Salt preserves from corruption. If it loses its saltiness, it doesn't do what it... it, If salt has lost its flavor... My concern about the beginning is more logistical. Right now your opening line is, you are the salt of the earth. I'm worried, particularly if it is windy, or if the crowd is larger than we expect, that people near the back will hear, salt the earth, and it will immediately call to mind a negative connotation. The Punic Wars? Yes. When Rome destroyed Carthage, they sowed the city with salt to make it barren and to curse anyone who would rebuild upon it. I share your concern about the opening line but for different reasons. Now that totally contradicts the Bible. The Bible says very clearly in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So it's very clear in the scripture that everything Jesus said in his preaching and teaching came from the Father. Amen to that. I did get these clips from YouTube. There was two brothers, and uh, I really should have written down their names to give them the credit for their videos. But there was there's one brother there that did like a five-hour expose on The Chosen, and this brother obviously did his homework and did a good job on uh, exposing the errors in this film, which there's many, but I think one of the, the biggest things that I was shocked about was Dallas Jenkins' appearing on uh, a Mormon channel and and trying to claim that we have the same Jesus, but of course we don't have the same Jesus. So let's hear some of these clips. Relationship with different denominational or faith traditions that I didn't have before. I've learned so much more about the LDS community than I And I thought I knew, but that goes for like the Catholic church as well. Like this show has been uniquely, I've never seen anything like it really, how much it has unified in response. 
multiple faith traditions. Now, once they get together, like on our fan club, there's still a bunch of arguments and, and, uh, and shade being thrown at each other. Like people saying, oh, I'm in the same fan club or I love the same show as a bunch of Catholics. Well, I better tell them that they're going to hell uh, that they're, that, or that they have a false religion or vice versa. You get the Catholics saying, uh, wait a minute, I need to inform our evangelical people, uh, friends about how they're so wrong and blaspheming because they don't understand Mary. And what's funny about uh, the LDS folks is you guys seem to be, even though you're the most controversial, you seem to be the least confrontational. Um, <laughs> it's just like, hey, we're all, we all love Jesus. Let's just, uh, I just want to let you know we love the show. And when people start going, hey, you're a Mormon, you're going to hell. Uh, you're just like, hey, whatever. It's like, you just it kind of seems to roll off your back. Maybe it's because you're used to, to being on yeah. the outside sometimes. But but uh, yeah, it's been so fascinating because um, even my family members, when we first started this relationship with VidAngel, part of it was, well, be, be careful because of the common misconceptions about, about uh, our different belief systems but also just protecting the show. Like, will the audience be bothered by the fact that there are um, LDS people involved? Personally, I didn't really care because I've, I've worked with people of all different traditions or, I mean, I've worked with atheists. I've partnered with, with people who've distributed my movies who had zero desire to, you know, or connection to, to Christ and couldn't have cared less about it. So even if I had significant disagreements with the LDS community, which I've learned I have fewer than I thought I did. But even with that, I was okay. I was comfortable with that because as long as they're treating the show properly, that's all that matters. So it's been, I, I can honestly say it's been one of the top three most fascinating and beautiful things about this project has been my growing brother and sisterhood with people of the LDS community that I never would have known otherwise and learning so much about, um, about your, your faith tradition um, and realizing, gosh, for all the stuff that maybe we don't see eye to eye on, that all happened, that's all based on stuff that happened after Jesus was here. Um, the stories of Jesus, we do agree on, and we, we love the same Jesus um, that's not something that you often hear. Sometimes it's like, oh, you, uh, they that's believe in a different yeah, Jesus than we do. Statement. Yeah. No, it's the same. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sink or swim on that statement. And, I, and it's controversial. And I, um, I don't mind getting criticized at all for the show. And I don't mind being called a blasphemer. I don't like it when my friends are. And um, I've made it very clear that um, if, I go down, if I go down, I'm going down swinging protecting my friends and my, my brothers and sisters. And so I don't deny we have a lot of theological differences, but we, we love the same Jesus. And, um, and, and the guys at VidAngel are more passionate about this show. And I do hope that viewers judge the show on its own merits. And much like when you read the Bible, you don't go, hey, I heard that the ink that was printed on this Bible was provided by someone I disagree with uh, and so there, or, or the driver of the truck who's delivering the Bibles to this, to this church or this country, he's not a believer or he's a Mormon or he's a Catholic. Therefore, that Bible is no longer valid. I think, I think he's a little messed up there. Of course, like I said, he's, he's uh, since tried to walk back those comments. But I don't know. I'd like to interview him myself to find out where he stands. 
But anyway, here's a clip now. He says, he said there that we love the same Jesus, but here's what Mormons believe about God plan Jesus. and was never a real option, but Lucifer didn't back down. Our scriptures describe him as an angel of God who was in authority in the presence of God, who rebelled against the only begotten Son. In fact, he convinced many of our other spirit brothers and sisters to rebel as well. Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power, I caused that he should be cast down, and he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men, and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. Referring to Luke 10, 18, the early Christian father Origen taught that Jesus compares Satan to lightning and says that he fell from heaven, that he might show by this that he had been at one time in heaven and had had a place among the saints and had enjoyed a share in that light in which all the saints participate, by which they are made angels of light. Satan and his fellow fallen angels are still rebelling against God to this day, tempting you and I to disobey God's commandments at every turn. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. Anyway, back to the original question. Are Satan and Jesus brothers? In the sense that Jesus, Lucifer, you, me, and billions of others are spirit children of God? Yes. You are my brother, Anakin! But for Latter-day Saints, this association really has no impact on our view of Christ's divinity or on our view of Satan's. In our mind, the association there makes Satan no better than the snake that he is, and it makes Christ nothing less than the perfect divine member of the Godhead that he is. We don't believe this association elevates Satan in any way, nor does it denigrate Christ in any way. So we've all got that shared spirit family association there, and that's relevant and important. But sometimes we tend to emphasize that association so much that we miss out on some of the rich meaning that comes from some other really important relationship. Except Christ and his gospel, he becomes our covenant father. And now because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore ye are born of him, and have become his sons and his daughters. And under this head ye are made free, and there is no other head whereby ye can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. In Matthew 12, Christ talks about family in a way that surpasses a mere parent-child association. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. In these senses, Satan is the furthest thing from a brother to Christ. Now, there's a lot more to be said on this subject. This idea that Christ is a spirit son of God the Father opens up a whole can of theological worms having to do with Trinitarianism and creator versus creation, stuff that hopefully we'll get around to another time. But in the... I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Satan and Jesus were brothers? What Jesus are you talking about? And then, then they try to whitewash it. But that, that's what Mormons really believe. This is, this is a guy from the Mormon church, which they don't like to call themselves Mormons anymore. They, they want to be called Latter-day Saints. So what fellowship does light have with darkness? We don't have any fellowship with uh, these kind of beliefs. 
And I, I, I think this, this is a big problem as far as uh, Dallas Jenkins is concerned. Because he doesn't have any business really cozying up to these people and uh, trying to be a politician. Here's some other clips. It's actually a level of universalism in Mormonism because they believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ actually brought about immortality for all people. However, Godhood, what they call exaltation, is only available to those that practice the tenets of Mormonism and get pretty much as close to perfect as possible doing so. So, clearly Mormonism believes that there are many gods. You know, and one of the biggest ways to know that something is a cult and a heresy is to look at how it views the atonement. Mormonism actually denies the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. Mormons actually believe that their current president, which in history were their current prophets, actually have infallibility when it comes to matters of doctrine. Now, the real tricky thing is that when you look at the history of Mormonism, there's been all of these crazy different things that different prophets have said. So current day Mormons will often say, well, those things we don't adhere to today, and it's convenient because, hey, the current prophet says, I guess God changed his mind. In their scriptures in Moroni 10.32, which is in the Book of Mormon, it actually says that we're supposed to come to Jesus, and we have to pretty much rid ourselves of all ungodliness. And if we deny ourselves of all ungodliness, then the love of God might give us the strength um, that's necessary in order to reach Godhood. Um, then God's grace is sufficient after we've done all of the work. So that's a different gospel. One is the gospel of grace, which is the true gospel, and the other gospel is the gospel of works, false gospel. Uh, Brigham Young, who was the second prophet after Joseph Smith of Mormonism, actually believed that God the Father had physical sexual relations with Mary. I mean, that's some sick stuff. So when Dallas Jenkins says, oh, you know, all of our disagreements are pretty much about things after Jesus came, well, that's actually 100% false. Um, a lot of it is pre-Christ. A lot of it has to do with what they believe about the very nature of God, the very person of God, the very nature of sin and man's sinfulness, the very nature of Satan. If this doesn't get you, I'm going to say that you probably really need some spiritual help. Um, many Mormons believe that Jesus was married, and different leaders throughout um, the past 150 years of Mormonism have believed, believed that Jesus was married. And the reason why they believe that is because marriage is an essential part of progression towards Godhood. So though not all Mormons will say that Jesus is married, um, and though not all the church leadership today may say that Jesus is married, it's widely held that Jesus is married. If you put much research into Mormonism and read different texts from the Book of Mormon, you'll see this high emphasis on works. Everything is works, works, works. It's God's grace is given after you try your very best. But we know that that's a false gospel. That's not what Jesus came to give us. He didn't come to give us a works-based religion. He came to offer us grace and mercy through his atonement on the cross. So no matter how you get around this, Mormonism and Christianity are totally incompatible. 
different Jesus in each, different Jesus in Mormonism, different Jesus in Christianity. So this idea that we can come together and find collective agreement over the Jesus that's portrayed in The Chosen is not acceptable. It's not. No, it's not acceptable at all. It's not acceptable at all. Not at all. Well, here's another person that Dave Dallas Jenkins appeared with, and that's Glenn Beck, who is a a famous Mormon, and he claims that he's a Christian. The LDS community, which per capita is probably the biggest fans of the chosen anywhere. When I go to Utah, really, uh, that's that's the one place where I, I I'm, I'm a I'm a bit of a celebrity. Is um, hmm. it's it's really the show is become huge in the, in the LDS faith and um, partially also because we filmed some of season two at that amazing set in Goshen, Utah, that's owned by the LDS church. I, I just don't think that, uh, I don't think God's going to, you know, send me to a lake of fire and brimstone because I didn't go to the right college. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I, I was going to the wrong church. I was doing that. He is, he is, I don't want to be around a God like that. I, I mean, if he's like, you know what, you're a good person, you lived a good life, but sorry, you went to the wrong place. Uh, gee, Dad, I think that's a little harsh, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, and you, so missed, it's, you missed point forty-seven out of the 52 points that I had given. <laughs> Therefore, you're right. Yeah. When I first saw Dallas Jenkins and Glenn Beck in this interview, I thought, this is really troubling because right now they're joking about the holiness of God. You can see them both kind of chuckling and saying, like, yeah, God God shouldn't send you to hell for a small mistake. But the thing is, in Christian doctrine and in biblical understanding of God's very nature. Yeah. Yeah, God, God is going to ask you uh, what you did about his son. And uh, that's not the clip where Glenn Beck says that he's a Christian and Dallas Jenkins was basically agreeing with him. Well, Mormons, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or whatever they want to call themselves, they're not Christians. Catholics are not Christians. That's not Christian doctrine. And I, I've believe we have to separate ourselves and make ourselves distinct in the world to be able to describe to people what a Christian really is. Who, who really are the Christians? The Christians are the born-again believers that don't compromise their faith and don't sell out. Those are the real Christians. So people have to be able to recognize what a real Christian is. And that's our job. One of our jobs anyway is to show people what Christianity is all about. And of course, we can't always portray Christians as being totally perfect. We're not totally perfect. We make mistakes. Christians sin and do things they're probably not supposed to do. But if they can repent and be open and honest about 
their sin and their shortcomings, people, people can respect that. Here's another total compromiser, David Barton. When he talks about God or Jesus, it's another Jesus. Yeah. It's another God because he is a Mormon. Yes. How do you contend with, with well, that? What I, what I tell people, too, is from my standpoint, having been in politics a lot of my life and held political office, and et cetera, one thing I really dislike is, is identity politics. That's where you say, oh, uh, the, the, the black movement or Hispanic movement or the gay movement or youth movement, individual, as, as, as Christians, we believe individually. Jesus died for us individually, not for groups. He died for individuals. And that was the neat thing about the resurrection of the Bible 500 years ago was it brought back the individual. And when we got back to reading the Bible, then suddenly we're kings and priests and all the things in, in First Peter 2. And what happens is a lot of people judge Glenn on the label that he's Mormon. And therefore, the individual stuff, oh, he's a Mormon. He, women, judge him individually. Judge on the basis of what he says. Don't interpret what he says. I've been on the programs with him when he talked about individual salvation, when he talked about atonement, when he talked about redemption. I've been with him in arenas where that at the close of our arena, he would close of the arena events, he would have the last hour. And we were there, and he said, you know, I, I've been praying. I really felt like the Lord told me I need to speak out of Ephesians 6. And so he's an he, artist. He went to Blackboard, drew a great Roman soldier, and the whole hour with that arena in, in Phoenix, he says, okay, here's the helmet of salvation. Here's the feet shot of the preparation of the gospel. And he went through every part of the army. He said, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principles. And so I, I watch that, and if you just ignore the label, you know, people keep wanting to stick that label on there and judge them by the label. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the label. If a tree has a label that says I'm a banana tree, but it keeps bearing apples, I'm going to believe it's an apple tree. And that's that's really what I think hangs a lot of people up, is they've got a label that they want to judge him by, and you can't do that. God looks individually at the heart. Uh, here's a guy who was raised as a Catholic. He found he found Jesus in Alcoholics Anonymous when he really screwed up his life, mm -hmm. and he's now going to a Mormon church. But that doesn't say anything about his personal relationship with Jesus, and that's what people need to look at. So you believe that he is uh, a Christian in every sense of the word? I do. I, I mean, I, I literally have watched him pray and hear from the Lord and turn on, on a dime. And, and there's just, the fellowship is very good. Um, we talk about the scriptures very openly. And he's, he's just, again, I've heard of no other... I, I think it was really well described by, by Richard Land at Southern Baptist Convention. He said, listen to him, it's like watching a TBN program, you know? And, and that was really because the, the level of Christianity that you get. Now, other people say, yeah, but I really know what he means with that right, word. Right. Hey, given the, we don't like people going around second guess. If you say something, you mean what you said. Yeah. And, and so, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we believe that from what Jesus said. Don't try to interpret the guy's words. You wouldn't want that anybody doing that to, to me or anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I find amazing is we don't treat him with the same way we want to be treated. Uh, we don't take him at his word. We have to interpret his word for him. We have to say, no, that's not what he really means. can't do that. One of the, just can't do that. Yeah, one of the common criticisms is that, that evangelicals are being seduced into endorsing well, Mormon theology. You know, if evangelicals are that weak and flimsy on their own beliefs, shame on them. <laughs> you know, and, and that's why I love some of my Jewish rabbi friends. They're great, and they encourage Christian prayer at schools all the time because they said, we're strong in our faith. We're not scared of converting to Christianity. Mm -hmm. We're not that weak. 
And I thought it was really interesting that earlier this year when Davenport, Iowa, decided that they wanted to take Good Friday off their civic calendar because it might offend somebody, Christians didn't say anything. Hmm. The people who jumped out there were Jews like Dennis Prager who said, no, 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 you do not take the Christian holidays off the calendar. Hmm. Now, he's comfortable enough in his own faith. Well, I'm not at all scared of losing my faith. I'm not so weak in my faith. I love the example we have from Elijah where he gets up on top of the mountain with 400 false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal. Hmm. He says, you guys pray all you want to, take all the time you want, you seek God as long as you want to, you just make sure I get my shot. Hmm. That's a free market. Elijah wasn't scared of being outnumbered 850 to 1. And so that really is, is where I think Christians need to get. If they're scared that being, being with someone is going to shake their faith, they're not grounded very well at all. Hmm. Interesting perspective. Um, the Black Robe Brigade mm-hmm. at the 827, I think it was on the Friday prior. Yeah. Were there imams on the stage as well? There may have been. Right. Um, I, I was responsible for getting about 250 ministers on the stage, mm-hmm. and there may have been. But if there was an imam there, you know, that's, again, it's just like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. doesn't bother me yeah. in the least. So you don't, you don't see it as compromising, no. but, but as going maybe into a place. That's to... like telling Jesus, Jesus, you can't leave the synagogue. You have to stay in the synagogue. Don't you get out there with those sinners and publicans and others. You sure. just, it's like saying, I'm, I'm going to make you fishermen, but I want the fish clean before you bring them to me. This guy, David Barton, is a total compromiser. If Glenn Beck was a Christian, he would not be a Mormon. So I don't care what he says or how many scriptures he quotes. How could you be in a, in a church that says that Jesus and Satan are brothers? And then you claim to be a Christian and you have somebody like David Barton endorsing that. And obviously, you see that he's into this whole ecumenical movement. Well, we could be friends with people, but as far as appearing on platforms with rabbis, Jewish rabbis who aren't saved, and imams, Muslims, and Catholic priests, no. No, you can't do that. Because you give the impression that you're endorsing these kind of things and that you're endorsing the ecumenical movement. We can't do that because it's a deception. Now, if you want to have friends of different faiths and you're, you talk on the phone or you have lunch together or whatever and you're witnessing to them and not accepting their beliefs and making it clear that you're not accepting their beliefs, That's another thing. But as far as appearing in public and holding these conferences and uh, you're all having these kumbaya moments, no. No, it's wrong. Because you're really confusing people that are questioning their beliefs and you're not presenting the gospel in a pure form. We have to be honest with people about what we believe. And we can't be politicians. We're ambassadors, yes. But as far as playing politics with people's eternal destinies, we can't do that. It's dangerous, and we can really wreak havoc with uh, people's lives when we do these kind of things. So... 
that's our program for today. And we want to thank everybody that tuned in, everybody in the chat room, all our listeners from Great Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom. We give you a big shout out. We thank you for listening and tell your friends about the program. Also, if you want to email me, you can email me, Susan at propheticnews.com. Susan at propheticnews.com, and I will answer your email. And don't forget our book, President Trump's Pastor. It's an important book meant to help people to come out of their deception where these spiritual matters are concerned. But the most important thing today is, do you know Jesus Christ yourself as your Lord and Savior? Putting down all your preconceived notions and your religious beliefs as far as some of these false churches maybe you've been involved with yourself or you've been involved in the New Age movement or witchcraft or some things that you shouldn't be dabbling in and you say to yourself, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent for my wickedness. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my life and to be my Lord and my Savior and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He says he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one, because we've all sinned. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, For God commendeth his love toward us, and that, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is not difficult. When someone is truly repentant and sorry for their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you, and he will give you a brand new life. He will forget your sins, whatever you've done in the past, and give you a new life and a new start. He will give you peace and joy in a troubled world. These things you can't buy. So no matter what you've done, God can forgive you. And he can give you that promise of eternal life that when you die and leave this earth, you'll have a home in heaven. Heaven is a real place. Jesus was born of a virgin. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Most people know that story. He's alive. He's not a dead God who can't have mercy and compassion, which he does. But it's up to you to accept him and to accept the free gift of eternal life. So ask Jesus to come into your life today and to forgive you of your sins. And he will. And he will. You'll see. You'll be born again, just like he said. You must be born again because first you're born of your mother, and then you must be born again of the Spirit of God. And you you will see a drastic change in your life. 
the scales will fall off your eyes and you'll be able to see what you've been searching for all your life. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. Be the name of the Lord. He is my.